nurses and hypochondriacs, the podcast that brings nurse experts, patients, and hypochondriacs together to discuss hot topics in healthcare. And here is your host, Ercilia Pompilio. Job stress is no joke. On this episode of the Nurses and Hypochondriacs podcast, my very special guest, Glenna Davis, joins us to talk about how everybody needs to have a better work-life balance. This is a very interesting episode and you won't want to miss it, especially if you're burnt out. But first, a word from our sponsor. This episode was brought to you by Rogue Nurse Media 501c3 and The Well-Written Nurse, empowering nurses and patients to tell their stories. I think we'll be good. I think this will be... Welcome to Nurses and Hypochondriacs, Glenna Davis. Hello, Arcelia. How are you? I'm doing well, Glenna. I've been wanting to have you on for a long time, but I think this is the perfect time right now. I mean, this podcast for me is just so intuitive, you know, and um, right before you this morning, I interviewed Kay Mendoza. And so I don't know if you know uh, Kay Mendoza. She's um, the foreign nurse lifeguard. That is uh, her moniker. So she uh, does a lot of contract negotiations with foreign nurses when they're coming here. So she is like a great um, mentor for them. And uh, it's kind of like you're doing very much the same thing in a way. So we met uh, when you came on my show in 2018 to tell a story. And you hadn't been on stage since you were like in kindergarten. Right. I love that story. Correct. I hadn't been on stage since I was in kindergarten and um, we were dancing, a bunch of kindergartners dancing to um, wade in the water of all the <laughs> Perfect for Hurricane Hillary. That yeah, just exactly. Did. That's a whole nother topic, Miss Hurricane Hillary. But yes, right. we end um you provide an opportunity for me to really get my words in a storytelling format and to really just deliver them on stage to people with a topic. It was a mental health topic and for healthcare providers. And it just went beautifully for me and what I had just came out of and um, was trying to tell the world about. And you gave that opportunity. And I just thank you for that. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, your story was great. So tell us a little bit about yourself. And also your book, The Bias Burnout. Okay, so um, I'm born and raised in Los Angeles, California. Uh, My mom, I was born and raised by a paranoid schizophrenic, actually. So let me go ahead and just put that out there in South Central Los Angeles. And I think the highest grade that I actually completed was the sixth grade. And the reason why is because mom had a lot of mental health issues that required a lot of my time and attention, even if not directly, then indirectly, or even my focus wasn't even in school. So, you know, um, LAUSD 
did what they always do, just, you know, send me to the next grade, send me to the next grade. Mm -hmm. But I didn't really have credits to even cover the eighth grade. But here I am in the 11th grade, 16 years old and pregnant. Um, So I had my first child at 16, went to a medical assistant program, (laughs) doctored up my, um, frauded my I should, probably shouldn't say this publicly, but, you know, back in our day, we used to change yeah. our birth dates and because <laughs> we was trying to make our money and get on, you know, you're a mm-hmm. generation X. So you like, I got to make this happen for myself. That's true. That yeah. is so generation yeah. X. I've done it myself on um, my birthday is a year earlier uh-huh. and I did that to get my driver's license. You know, we got to do what we got to do. We got to do. <laughs> And so I went to a medical assistant program because I refused to continue to flip burgers. My first job was at Carl's Jr. And I was like, no, not doing that because everybody's going to talk about me and you're not going to be anything. So I went to a medical assistant program where I started working with physicians here in Los Angeles at 17 years old. And it wasn't until I moved to Texas at 19 after our earthquake here in 94 with my two-year-old daughter where I was working with a bunch of white girls who were nurse practitioners who were happy as a clam, every last (laughs) one of them. Like they was bopping around and they were grandfathered into these nurse practitioner programs back in those days. And I was Mm. like, what do I need to do to be that happy? So I started my quest in school, you know, and for nursing school and you know, did everything that I could, you know, from not having all of those educational foundation, that foundation and education from high school to going into college. And it it took me like 10 years to get my uh, associate's degree, but because eight of those years were remedial classes, I did not Mm. know how to string a sentence along. I did not know how to multiply with the little dot in the exponents on top. Like I could not do any of those things completely um, kind of illiterate, I guess, you know, you, you can speak mm-hmm. and you can read, but you can't get your thoughts onto paper to make it make sense for someone else mm-hmm. was where my, my problem was, even though I loved words and used to study the dictionary and new words, I couldn't write or create a sentence. And, you know, here I am a published author with That's amazing. Yeah. Awesome. I love that story. Thank you. With two books and, you know, a bachelor's degree in nursing in nursing. Fun fact about me, I'm a graduate school dropout. So I was like, no, I'm not going back. (laughs) Not going. Yeah. It's a lot. Graduate school is a lot. Um, you know, that's great for people who do it. I you just did yours though, right? At US. No, no, no. I have a master's degree. I have a master's degree. Well, graduate, yeah, Yeah. not a PhD. Yeah, no, no. Yeah. But yeah. Um, but yeah, it is, I mean, to be a nurse practitioner, yes, but there's so many resources now Mm -hmm. that you can educate yourself. I I mean, I've been doing a lot of studying on, um, on, uh, what is it? Not neural. Sur- I was going to say neurosurgery, but neuroscience. neuroscience so, uh, yes. yeah. And, and looking at that and really looking how like the subconscious mind, you know, trauma, 
affects our body Mm -hmm. and gets stuck in our nervous system, Mm -hmm. you know, that amazing. Yeah. So it, so it's really, really interesting. So you can educate yourself. I mean, I don't know where I would have to go to come to get that education. I mean, I guess I could go get a neuroscience degree, but it's just like, why when I could do it for free, you know, or for a a fraction of the cost and the way I want to do it. And then I could, put together my own theories exactly. and, and write my own stuff. So That's taking take costs too much money. Who exactly. Who wants to take a test? <laughs> exactly. You know, nobody wants to take a test. Yeah. So, so tell us about your uh, journey into nursing, your hero's journey in the nursing sector, which has led you to write books and, and being such a great resource to other nurses. Well, you know, back in 2018 or, you know, this happened to me, this injury, this bedside injury happened to me when I was 30, I don't know, I can't even remember how old I was, but I was 2012 and I had just finished my online bachelor's degree and I injured myself and that injury, I was doing afternoon assessments using a 60cc syringe to push back fluids into my patient. And what felt like fire just kind of erupted out of my, oh. my thumb and my hand. I was like, wow. ah, you know, I caught it. And then I had had his fluids, his green fluids in my arm because I didn't want to mess up his electrolytes. Uh-huh. So here I am trying right, right. to save myself and save his fluids at the same time. And so I managed to get everything back inside of my patient. And I, I remember sitting down and putting an ice pack on and then I was charting my charge nurse was like, what's going on with this ice pack. And so, you know, I told her and a day or two went by, she reapproached me. She's like, what's going on with that elbow? Yeah. Th- my, your t- um, thumb. And I said, well, it still is a little warm and everything. And so she's like, you need to do a doctor's first report. So I did that. And Something as simple as this bedside injury led me into the workers' compensation system, which exposed me to so much discrimination and so much, um, how can I say it, feelings of unworthiness because I injured myself. I could no longer do ICU nursing, a job that they hired me for, but here I am, a nurse who can go into research, who can, you know, be a charge nurse that can do so many other things with my seven years of nursing experience at that time. And now my new bachelor's degree, but I'm being pushed out like wet rag. And here they are hiring all these new nurses. And I just psychologically, that just really messed me up to see that that was happening. And no one cared about what this injury would do to me, what taking pain pills would do to me, what taking psychiatric Mm -hmm. medicine would do to me. Nobody cared. And so I thought, and then I started reading about the Robert Wood Foundation when they were like, um, who is it? The Institute of Medicine, actually, who stated that they wanted nurses to work to the fullest extent of our education. So that didn't mean to me to go back to school and get education. That meant to me to work in the fullest extent of being a registered nurse, which is advocacy, support, 
education. And so I had to um, sit down with a psychiatrist for two years going through employment discrimination, not because they almost drove me out of my mind trying to get my rights, but because I needed to redefine what work means. Right. I I think you bring up a very good point. And I think people have an issue with that because we we do see a lot of people like getting addicted to work or identifying themselves with work, you Mm -hmm. know, or even when they have an illness to going back to that same place that gave them the illness. Like I, I know someone who just passed away, had breast cancer, was working in a radiology department, but she went back after her first bout with this cancer to work in that, that in radiology. And my first question was, why would you go back there? Yeah. What did she say? She's passed away. Oh, oh, you You didn't know it it was a return. Okay. (laughs) But I mean, that's my question. Like, why would you go back to a department where you can get sick? Yes. You know, and I worked at- well, well, I mean, Our neurotic know, is how I like get to it? say radiology, say yeah, cancer. Yeah, 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 I get it. Why would you want to even put your mind, set your mindset around being exposed to the very thing that should trigger you yes. not to want to be in there because you just went through radiation, direct radiation to kill cancer and, and you want to go back. Right. And I think it's a very unconscious thing that people do or they're trying to prove something, mm-hmm. you know, um, I, I don't know. But can you go ahead and speak to that? I mean, you've experienced it. You probably counseled other nurses in that. Like, what is work? Like, how did you define what work is? So as I sat there and I just kept saying, I need to redefine the meaning of work. I decided that work was just me giving of my gifts and Mm -hmm. to figure out a way, not even for me to figure out a way, but, you know, whether people believe in God or not, you know, I do, I, you know, am a servant of his, I love, you know, I have a lot of experience in my relationship with him, but whether or not you believe in him or not, His laws and the natural laws are true. So it would apply to anyone who uses them to live your life in purpose and you will be compensated for that. You'll go in and out of the the workforce without holding on to your identity because your identity is not in the workplace. I've been able to leave jobs and live off of the harvest, so to speak, yeah, that mm-hmm. I've gotten from work and then be right back at work when I'm at my last $1,500 or something. And it just happens like yeah. that. You I know? love that. Me yeah, too. I've it's, been there. It's, yeah. It's not like, that's what I consider to be work-life balance. You know, I think people, they come into um, my community and they feel like work-life balance is to get the help that they need to walk on this tightrope you know, so they can balance Mm, all these things. But I just want women to know, get off the tightrope, tightrope, you're not a circus monkey, plant your feet on the ground and figure out what it is that you want and and pursue it, ask for it, pursue it and get it. But I think what I've seen is people don't have an identity, you know, so they, they don't have a sense of self. 
So what they start doing is they start following that straight line that you said on a Mm tightrope and they start following what they think they should be doing like what everybody else is doing. So then you'll start to see with these people, they'll start dressing like those other people, mm-hmm. you know, they'll start following what they're doing, but you ask them like, okay, well, is this really what you want to do? So then there's someone that comes along that's on the crooked path and mm-hmm. that's not on the straight path, you know, uh, and that's maybe pursuing other creative things or is maybe an entrepreneur mm-hmm. and doing things that may scare these type of people. Mm-hmm. And they just start getting freaked out. They start getting very, very triggered and they will start to just um, uh, act out towards right. towards that person on the crooked path. And it's because I feel that it's almost like they don't have a soul, you know, or they have this lack of connection, mm-hmm. you know, which can kill you. Right. You know. Right. That is true. <laughs> when I think about such opposition like that and in my own story and trying to pursue something that I really didn't know why I was pursuing it, but I was very much drawn to it and I knew it was purposeful And I knew it was meaning. And I also knew that it was um, dangerous to the lifestyle that I had at that moment, that I was risking my way of life to get to something that I didn't even really understand. And well-meaning friends and family and even colleagues and, you know, advisors would be like, don't do that. Yeah. (laughs) You're, you're, you're you're um, going to mess up. You know, I, I, I'll never forget when I was going through these things, just say I had the muscle injury, right? Or silly, yeah. I had the yeah. muscle injury. And then what popped up on a positive um, blood test was a positive ANA, a marker for systemic lupus, right? And so, wow. I, how, uh-huh. and I'm also, you know, stressed out and my hair is thinning, right? Right, right, and right. So, my, my pressure and stuff is high. So I have um, high pressures in my eyes, glaucoma symptoms, right? And so, and then not to mention the depression that I'm experiencing, which was really the oppression that I was experiencing yeah, that was yeah. way too high on me because I like to think of things in the spiritual more than in the yeah, physical. Yeah, I love that. Yes. But when I was putting all these things together, I was like telling some of my trusted friends who are, Christians and nurses, things like, well, you better not rock the boat because, you know, that's looking a little sketchy. Like you might be meeting them in a little while. Now, mind you, I'm working as a transplant coordinator by then. I'm like, God forbid if I'm going to need, you know, right? how many women, and I just thought that had I taken all of the symptoms that I was experiencing to one doctor, I would have been diagnosed with systemic lupus and placed on medication and my death hastened. You can't yeah. tell me anything different from that. I know that from the women that I speak with and my experience. And so to go back yeah. to the people who are consciousless or who by unbiased conscious are soulless or, or was trying to get me to not take that path that I needed to take well-meaning as they are, they don't know 
the beauty that's on the other side right, of that right. struggle. And they may not want to see me suffer, which is why, which is great. But as believers, we're called to suffer, but we're called to suffer for the righteousness of a thing, right. not to hold on to our life that is trying to leave us, which spiritually I feel like is part of us, um, what you call it, the systemic diseases, because our bodies are turning against ourselves because right, we're right. not growing and loving ourselves. Yeah. I, I so, think you bring up such a great point. And this is what um, I was studying the other day, because sometimes, okay, so the death of this person really affected me because mm-hmm. when I heard she had passed, she was not a good person towards me in my life. Like she, again, I was on the crooked path. She was on the straight one and um, she tried to, she was very antagonistic. You know, I, I get, I, I would trigger her when I was around her and I didn't do that on purpose. I just was just my being. And sometimes that happens with people. Mm-hmm. So um, she did some nefarious stuff uh, towards me, which is which is all in good. Mm-hmm. Um, but when she died, I was in my backyard here in Palm Springs and I found a dead bird. And I've never found a dead bird. Um, I don't think ever. I mean, yeah. Um, yeah. So it was just, you know, it, it was just like a synchronistic right. uh, sign. So I, I thought that was really interesting. And so I started to look into this person's death. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, you know, she was one of those people that had the perfect life, the children, the the house, everything, everything, you know, it, it's like that family you would look at in a catalog, you know, right. And, um, um, and, and again, I, I just had so many questions, like, why would you go back to a job that could have potentially given you cancer? Right. You know, right. why didn't you just leave and pursue something else and do something else? And if you if you know you only have so much time, like right. what would you do with yourself? Right. right. So so it's so interesting to me. But that sometimes when you so people fight going into themselves, right? Like it's that dark night of the soul that we talk about mm-hmm. in storytelling, mm-hmm. right? Uh, the um existential crisis right right? and you're going into yourself and your soul is growing but when you're trying to hold on to what was I feel and and from what I was researching because I went into deep trance and I got this I was like oh you can kill yourself you will literally put yourself on that path that will take you to your demise which is crazy and I think it's a very unconscious thing and it, it, it's, it, I just was like, whoa. And that is so true. You know, I've let go of so many things that were toxic, but my ego was so wrapped around, you know? And then, <laughs> yes, tell me about it. Once I like totally let go of it, I mean, my life was uncomfortable for a bit, you know? And, uh, and, and then once I settled in, I was like, oh my gosh, this is so much better. Right. Right. I have some dating experiences where my ego was there, but this was completely toxic. Oh my gosh. You could talk about dating forever. I, I just, oh yeah, that's a whole other, (laughs) that's a whole other thing. I said, I'm gonna have to have me a whole stand up comic show. (laughs) You should. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) To to just talk about that. Yeah. I totally agree. We just. We do think, I don't know. And even with nurses that I work with right now, because right now I'm on a a travel assignment and I'm just, you know, kind of helping 
out some nurses, but at the same time, like they talk bad about the on call, but they want the money. And I'm just like, I mean, I get it, but do you want to do this or not? Yeah. Oh yeah. I've seen that so much. and, And then people ask me specifically, why haven't I just specifically targeted nurses? I said, because they are in love with their money and there's nothing I can do about that. Yeah. You get very addicted. Yeah. I was there. Uh, You get very addicted to the money and to Mm -hmm. the work and the work Mm -hmm. is like, um, it's easy to come by Mm -hmm. if no, if you're very talented in many Mm -hmm. different ways, you can get Mm -hmm. jobs very easily, especially if you're doing locums, travel nursing, whatever. Uh, But, you know, after a while you start looking at your quality of life. Right. Right. And so let's talk about that. Like, how do you educate nurses about having or females about really, you know, how can I say this, really loving your life and your life is not about work. Your identity is not about work. Hmm. For nurses specifically. Well, huh? for nurses, for females. Okay you know, and the females that you consult. Mm -hmm. So I I like for women to make sure that they're tapping into their benefits and not just doing it on a whim, but doing it very intentionally to take time off, even if it's not to go on vacation and see doctors, but just to be at home and and studying something. I I like to study the word of God and just really Mm. be in quiet time. And, you know, I like to take hot perfume baths at least 20 minutes. Yes. I take one every night, but women be like, you take a bath every night, like like 20 (laughs) minutes too, but do it three nights a week wake up 30 minutes early to, to pray and to stretch and just to be one with yourself. And you, you'll get back time. You'll, you won't feel as um, restricted in, in time. Things will open up for you and opportunity will open up for you. You won't be caught in the, the traffic jams because you set some time aside for yourself get out of the hustle and bustle because you will re- destroy your families, your yep. children. My son told me, you always go and work with them 12 hour shifts, you know, back then. And I was like, I was a single mom and I don't know what you wanted me to do. And I tell him to this day, did you want me hanging out with Tyrone, smoking on Newports and drinking my 40 ounce bottle? That would have been better for you, you know, and get my section eight. And it may not be bad for the women who's doing it, but it was bad for me because that wasn't how I saw myself. And I wanted to, you know, be a homeowner and I wanted to grow in a career and I wanted to show my children that you can go to college and, you know, get an education, something people, no one can take away from you. Even if these people did come get my RN license, I'm still a nurse. Because I got a degree in nursing, you know? Right, right. Which I think is one of the most versatile degrees out there. Like you could do almost anything with a nursing degree. Yes. And that's what people don't realize. I mean, you could take breaks, you could go back. Yes. No, it's incredibly versatile. Yes. And so, you know, claiming, looking back over my, my time as a career employee from 
when I was making $13 in a penny as a phlebotomist and I had got into a lawsuit with this company and looking back, it was my first experience with really having work-life balance. It didn't feel good to be going through the things that I was going through, but as the company caused themselves retaliating against me, the job that they sent me to may have been 15 minutes out of my way from home, but it landed me 10 minutes to my nursing program after work, you know? That's so, awesome. Yeah. You know? And so, and then finishing, I, I, I got a little change from it. I was able to, you know, not work full time and just go to school mainly and then bought a house. But none of it, it didn't feel like that while I was in the midst of it. But looking back, it was my first experience at work-life balance. Because when you practice work-life balance, when you let go of your dependency on work and your compensation, you're able to grow in the life part, right? You're able to grow in the life portion. You should be spending time studying. I don't even, like when I was on modified duty at UCLA, what did I do? I studied cases that was relatable to mine, college, I mean, um, legal cases and mm -hmm. everything else, because I needed to know what I didn't know. Right. And I needed to be able to represent myself legally so that I'm not caught up in hurt feelings and I'm able to pursue the things that really matter to me. In the end, I did lose my vested benefits and I lost my pension because they were dirty, right? That's mm -hmm. what happened. But on the other hand, I went, I went two years with zero income coming in other than just my cashed out pension and six months of unemployment. I never missed a mortgage payment. I never missed a flight out of town that I needed to get to or dinner out with friends. Now I didn't spend frivolously. I wasn't getting my hair and nails done and, you know, just spending money at the whim, but we ate every night. And at the end of two years, I was in escrow and not foreclosure. And I even had enough money to upgrade the kitchen, you know, oh, that's awesome. before yeah. I started my job and I'm not in a job that I didn't even go out looking for. They just recruited me. I was like, oh, they were like, would you like a position in Pacquiao? I was like, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. I've been there too. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I just wish that people knew how work-life balance, it works. You know, it's, it's, you have to let go of the ideal that you are supposed to always be on some hamster wheel running in yep, circles, exactly. counting the days of the week. You got to stop this. You know, you got to stop it. When I was going through them two years and I was writing my first book and trying to figure out if I could even create a business about this, because I, I did a lot of testing. I, I, I went to your churches. I went to your unions. I went to your managers. Nobody wants you to know what you're supposed to do. Oh, yeah. It's Nobody true. wants you to know what you're supposed to do. They're like, I see what you're saying, but the church thought I was trying to steal a congregation away from them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, you know what? I'm not even talking to you about that. That's just, yeah. I, I don't I don't want them. I, I want people to know what to do. And I want people to know how to get over the system 
and not take it personally. Like America is, is, is a business, is a corporation. Yeah, oh yeah. And if you oh guys, yeah. you guys don't start acting like the citizens that you're supposed to be, then we're going to get locked up again. Right. <laughs> All and of us. Yeah. It almost looks like it's happening with yeah. what happened to Maui, you oh, know? And, yeah. And it's just like, okay. Like everybody needs to wake up and, yeah. and understand and, and yeah. you know, yeah, and a couple of days after that, God, I had just was having a conversation with Yahweh, and he said, you know, you guys are at war, right? Like, yeah. They're at war against you guys, and you guys are just doing nothing. Yeah, they just well, walking about. Right, and it's because they've thrown so much stuff, like, they're, I mean, we're, uh, we're a nation of consumerism. Right. There's so much gluttony. There's right. so much entertainment. Right. You know, I just had... um Dr. Anna Lemke on and she wrote the book Dopamine Nation, you know, mm-hmm. and we talked about how there's so much pleasure that that it's keeping people asleep. Pleasure. You know, <laughs> it, it's like pleasure is great, you it know, is. but when you're when you're addicted to it now and you're on your Netflix and on your OnlyFans fans and mm-hmm. whatever, whatever, you know, and you're always striving for that next high, you're not right. looking at what's going on right. around you, right. you know, with your government. And official. isn't that the plan? That that's is the, the plan. plan. Exactly. That's the plan. I talk about pain and suffering often. And I, I think that women think that I want them to experience, to, to just go through pain and suffering. And that's not the case. I just know that, like we said earlier, that's the path to get through to where it is you need to be, but you have to have a, a different mindset about the pain that you're experiencing. And, you know, I, I'll be praying, please allow me to market as well as big pharma because, yeah, exactly. you know, <laughs> like, right. come on, I'm trying to, I'm trying to market for the righteousness. Let me do this. Right. Right. Um, because they got people not wanting to feel pain all about pleasure. Exactly. All about you know, dopamine receptors and things feeling good. And my sister and I, she's five years my senior. We were having a conversation and she and I are both with the with the notion of like of experiencing and going through our pain. Like we never drank through our pain, even though we have drank regularly before, but never through pain. Like if I was drinking, I wasn't going through pain. Like I didn't never want to numb myself because I wanted to experience it. Just like when our bodies have a disease come to us and then our our immune system can identify it better, faster the next time. The same thing with pain receptors, the same thing with that, you know, Mm -hmm. what decisions to make and people are not aware enough to respond to the knowledge that their body is trying to share with them. That is an excellent point. And we talked about this on my last episode with um, Johnny Pemberton. So he did a show at the Hollywood Fringe Festival. He had a colostomy at the age of 19. So he has irritable, he had irritable bowel syndrome. Mm -hmm. And he talked about that. What really helped him relieve his pain was uh, reggae music and old school reggae. Wow. Because it's it's a higher frequency. Oh, wow. Right, I think. 
So he um, was a DJ at one point and then he really, really got into it. And so he embraced his pain that way. But he was saying the same exact thing as you. Mm-hmm. You got to go in and feel that pain mm-hmm. and not mask it mm-hmm. with all of these. You know, that's why we have the opioid crisis, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and the drug crisis with mm-hmm. now the, the fentanyl and crystal mm-hmm. meth and stuff, oh, you know. And, um, you know, people will go into marijuana and people think just using marijuana is just normal. Normal and right. oh, you know, and I'm just like, no, your senses are not there. Right. I stopped hanging out with a lot of people who were using marijuana mm-hmm. um, recreationally because mm-hmm. I started to find that their moods were bizarre. Oh. You know, they started acting very odd and they just were not there anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so I, I just had to cut some people off. Um, and, and I guess. It, it was probably more of my spiritual growth too. We mm-hmm. were not on the same timeline. Right. Ever, right. You know? And I'm sure you found that out too with oh, yeah. certain people in your life. And you're just like, Oh, I, you know, and it's not even a very conscious thing. It's like something happens and then that shifts. Exactly. To another, exactly. you know? Yeah. Because you're growing and people don't want you to grow with them and they may not say it, but they'll do things to pull you back to, exactly. you know, something that you've already pushed past. So I think that's a great point. So you did an open letter to some CEOs. I, had I did. On your LinkedIn. Let's talk about that. What was that open letter about? It was about job stress. Well, the open, yeah, it was definitely about job stress because it was stressing me out that I was being discriminated against and being closed to job opportunities that I qualified for. And, you know, I would just keep getting this same old sterile letter good luck Glennell, on your future endeavors. Like they was just, it, it, it became a game with them. And I just was like, I think these people are colluding against me. And my nurse manager at the time said, you're probably right. He told me to be very careful in dealing with these people. And I said, wow. well, you know what? Yeah. They started it. They started it. And I'm going to see this through, you know? And I wrote a letter to the president at the time, the acting president at the time was David Feinberg. And I wrote a letter to him and I CC'd everyone who was involved in my opinion. And that was at UCLA, at UCLA, right? Ronald Reagan, UCLA. I CC'd all of them. And the reason why I did that is because had I taken this to court, people can lose their court um, proceeding or they, they judgment or whatever, just because the CEO will say something like, Oh, I didn't know that this was happening. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. So no, we going to fix that. We going to tell everybody. <laughs> yeah. That's one of the, when I used to have this neighbor who was Jehovah's witness. And mm-hmm. the first thing she told me is she's like, never tell anybody the truth. Always say, I had no idea. Mm-hmm. That this is from a Jehovah's Witness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because and here's the thing: you really don't know the truth. And so, even if I go to court to this day, some of my clients are, you know, had asked me to do some court thing for them. And I, if they tell me to raise my right hand on the Bible, tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, I have to tell them because biblically it says to not swear an oath, right? And mm-hmm. to say, let your yeas be your yeas and your nays be your nays, and anything more than that, evil can ensue. So. I don't know the whole truth. I just know my perspective and I just know what I experienced. And I don't want you judging me based on that. You're already telling me I'm a liar because I done said, I I, I promise to tell the truth and the whole truth when I don't right. know the whole truth. 
Don't none of us know the truth. We got to <laughs> investigate. <laughs> But see, they don't want to investigate. They don't want to do their work. They don't want to do their discovery. They just want to say, okay, this is what we're going to do. And I've had a lot of experience with court. You know, my father in in a criminal trial, he was murdered when I was 20. So I was involved in that. My mother and then myself. So I have had the opportunity of um, intimately being with attorneys and how they operate in courts and how they operate with on retainers. And I don't like it. Yeah, no, I, I don't blame you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't like it. I don't like them. I don't like it. And I don't like innocent women who are experiencing job stress going into the courts are going not even making it into the courts, but going into mediation and being torn apart for something that they experienced, which is just sad to me. It's very sad. I mean, I, I've had um, one nurse on the show um, a couple of years ago, I believe, and uh, she was strangled by a um, uh, an anesthesiologist. She was working in uh, post-op, I believe. She was a charge nurse, and he kept turning off all the beeping machines and she told him to stop and he um like went up and just strangled her like he uh i guess his dark side took over he, he must have been high off propofol I, he must have been high <laughs> off of something he must have been using for sure for sure i i mean um and, and so but even then her the medical director of that um, institution she was working at told her She's like, oh, he said he'll never do it again. Like, you know, are you okay with like she he they didn't want her to proceed. Yeah, and no. thank God she did. And so that guy ended up losing his medical license. Yes. I think he served some some prison time, like a couple weeks or so. Um, but yeah, um, I, I just was devastated when I read um some articles about her and I contacted her and she came on the show and she said it really helped her to be on the show and to tell her story. You know, because so many times like a nurse will be like, oh, OK, I'll just forget about it and, and just go on. I mean, how can you go on? I just was listening to um, the serial podcast uh, Retrievals, which I just have you listened to that? Retrievals? I mean, no. Oh, it is really, really good. It's about the 200 patients, uh, females that went under IVF and there was a nurse that was stealing fentanyl. So they were having to endure this pain. So um, the nurse, like she got three weekends in prison and, um, and so she could take care of her children in like three years on house arrest, but they didn't even take away her uh, nursing license. Mm. Okay. Uh, meanwhile, all these poor women are enduring this pain, you know, but, but literally she kind of got off scot-free. Eventually she went in and, um, you know, surrendered her license like in January of 2023 mm. but but it's interesting how they treated how these physicians and other nurses treated these patients some of these patients were doctors and nurses themselves right. I just was appalled I was just like oh my what is going on in our society you know and another thing I just wrote a, a blog post for one of my um, locum clients on the new pump law that came out and I just, again, I, I just was put beside me. So nurses breastfeeding pump. Yeah. So oh. nurses could, uh, if you were, if you worked like shift work where you mm -hmm. got time and a half, I believe mm -hmm. you could not take time out 
to go ahead and pump your breasts to have milk for your newborn you baby because you're making too much money yeah. to stop and do that I have no idea it was oh, ridiculous wow. and they didn't even have like clean places for a lot of the women so they would have to go into the bathroom to pump or their car where they're exposing their breasts or they're at their desk you know whichever type of work environment they worked at and then I read an article too where a physician brand new physician was told that she could not pump milk for her brand new baby because it would take time away from her job and that she wouldn't be compensated for it what what planet are we on wow planet strange (laughs) i i mean exactly i was like what is going on here and and i was like but as these women but here's the thing i feel that so many times women will play the victim and just go along with it instead of challenging making themselves a hero in their story Mm -hmm. which i'm always pushing and challenging that narrative and saying why they're afraid of the consequence they don't want to deal with the conflict that's what i hear a lot of i don't like conflict um because i don't know what's going to happen but I wanted I want them to know that of course you know what's going to happen. You already you know the statistics of of women in the workplace and you know America's public health crises. This is the statistics of what happens when people really don't put their best foot forward and stand up for themselves. This is what exactly. happens. They fall into the status quo and they're injured. They shipwreck you know this. It may not look like that's what's going to happen to you tomorrow, but you're on that path of cynicism. You're on that path path of blaming race. You're on that path of being an angry person in society because no one was there for you when you were even there for yourself, but you expect somebody else to be there for you. So when they say, I don't know what's going to happen if I stand up for myself, Nothing but great things is going to happen for you. Exactly. (laughs) Nothing but great things. Nothing. And it it, it doesn't even feel like it's going to happen until you do it. And you're like, oh, for me? Yes. For you. (laughs) But you got to do it. You got to do it. I mean, it's your challenge. You know, like I said, I look at planet Earth as like we're playing a game. You know, we're like in a simulated reality. And so you get these challenges and you're like, Okay, what do you do? Yeah. You know, but are and we? Because I don't know anymore. <laughs> Something I drastic know. happened in 2020, and I just yeah. don't even feel the same. I don't. Yeah, I don't feel the same either. No, I mean, I for me, it's been going on for quite a long time. <laughs> like I haven't felt the same since probably 1999. Really? Wow. Um, yeah. Maybe so we entered into something journey. different at that time. Who yeah. knows? Maybe we're in a, a different timeline, reality, or something. Um, but I, I feel that you know, again, it's just like. People have gone through this in the Middle Ages, too, and other things. There was cataclysms then, too. I mean, someone brought that up, you know, because someone goes, oh, it's a terrible time to have a child in this uh, era. And I go, well, it was probably a terrible time to have children in the 1600s, too. I mean, (laughs) right. I mean, right. you know, and like I said, it's your life. So you got to make it. I mean, we all create our own reality. Right. So what is your reality going to look like? You know, is yeah. it going to look like, hey, I could do almost anything 
uh, that I want. I'm my own boss. I if right. I wanted to breastfeed my child, I could just go ahead and pop the baby right on my boob right now mm-hmm. if I had a child, right? Mm-hmm. Do you have that freedom, or are you creating? these constructs around you. I mean, because right. you were there, right? Where all these, con- and then you broke them down and created right. your own world. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Because if I lived within the confinements of other people, then I, I would still probably be flip, flipping burgers or a cashier, like, because this is what other people expected of me. And that's all that they expected of me. Uh, other people don't really pour into you the worth that you're that you are you have to identify your own worth and not even your self-worth but the worth that you give to this world your unique being your unique thoughts and passions and you know who would have thought here I am as a registered nurse doing my best to just carve out a niche that is a is a trillion dollar niche at that but yeah. really trying to get people to understand that there's a simpler way for you to handle stress that's non-invasive and your rights to least invasive treatment first. And I can walk you through it. <laughs> so, I love that. I love that. Yes, I was like. It's just so much. I just, people don't have to get caught up in medicine and get caught up in diagnoses. When I think about people being diagnosed, you know, just after their third day of needing to go to employment assistance programs, they have to get a diagnosis. And most common diagnosis is depression because your therapist wants to get paid. So here we are having a data points of all of these people of being depressed in America. And so that just really gives way for pharmaceuticals yep. to create more um, ground for their medications because all these people are dealing with depression, but really more 75% of them are probably dealing with some type of job stress that has been impacting their dopamine receptors because their cortisol levels are too high and who checks for cortisol levels anymore unless you're already in the ICU bed and they're doing stress challenges with corticosteroids so yeah yeah people yeah I I hear you I hear you and and it's like it's it's so interesting because it yeah I don't know. I had lost my train of thought. I had it. I was like, ah, and this- <laughs> it's okay. but, but it, but it, but it's so right on. I mean, or, um, oh, going on the depression thing. So I, I don't know if you know this, but there is a, um, there is a survey that people fill out for depression. I no longer use it because I found out that, um, Pfizer was the one who created this tool you know, wow. I forget what it's called. Um, but certain federally qualified clinics do uh, do use it and they mm-hmm. have to use it because they get a kickback from Pfizer. They get a kickback from the federal government. So they have to use this tool. Mm-hmm. So once I found out, because on the bottom of the tool, it says it's, it's a tool brought out from Pfizer. Right. Mm-hmm. And I remember at my clinic here in Palm Springs, I was using it for a teenager and the dad was like that tool is biased because it's created by Pfizer and I and never had looked it. at it I, <laughs> I never looked at it and I looked and I go oh my god you're right so I started to research that tool 
And sure enough, it was created by some researchers at Pfizer mm-hmm. all because, because Pfizer, like I, I think they, 90% of the psychiatric meds are made by Pfizer. And they've bought out a bunch of little, uh, I forget what drugs exactly. I was reading this one article and I was kind of trying to trace back each drug. Um, and, and each drug was traced back to Pfizer because it was always a company that had been bought by Pfizer. So all roads lead to Pfizer. I was going to write an article called. I love it. Call, do that. Do Pfizer. that. <laughs> yeah. Just see if I, I have that research. Cause sometimes I go down these rabbit holes and I get all this research yeah. and then I don't, <laughs> I don't write what I have to write now that I'm getting my website back up and I have that other blog that I could do it on. Um, I will write on that, but yeah, yeah but it, it is very, very interesting. So I brought this up in, um, a forum with a bunch of nurse practitioners and um and I think it was oh it was the pediatric nurse practitioners and I said that form is very biased no mm-hmm. one should be using it because it was created by a pharmaceutical company mm-hmm. so it's just luring you to use their drugs right. well I got bashed of course you know by all these nurse practitioners and they're not ready of, yeah and yeah they're not ready they still want to be asleep instead of mm-hmm. saying you are right mm-hmm. I mean it's common sense right mm-hmm. I mean right like, Right. I, I mean, you know, they're like, well, it's going to benefit them if they're writing it. Like, yeah, why would they write it. <laughs> right. At the goodness of their hearts. <laughs> right. It's common sense. So, <laughs> you know, and some of them are, well, what are we going to use? Well, why don't you develop your own tool? Or it's basic. Just I use storytelling in my mm-hmm. in my practice. You know, I just ask them, tell me your story. What's going on in your life? You know, mm-hmm. and a lot of times if I have time. Like, let's say a kid is coming in, thinks that they're trans or something is going mm-hmm. on in their life. I'll ask the parent, okay, so tell me about your childhood. Mm-hmm. And what, how'd your parents parent you? Mm-hmm. You know, were you in a strict household, blah, blah, blah. So, and it goes with that with storytelling because that's all intermingled, mm-hmm. you know, and it, and it could be creating another story that's going on that they're unconscious about. Right. It, you know? Right. So, perfect. Um, so it's very simple. It's a very mm-hmm. simple uh, technique that you can use. And it's just getting to know other people. And exactly. As providers, a lot of people don't have time or don't even know how to do it. You know, Because right. they haven't even tapped into their creative side. They're all very academic. True. Yes. They're all yes. academic. So, you know, you have to be very careful of talking to people who are strictly academic because maybe they're just indoctrinated and they can't, they can't risk cognitive dissonance. Yeah from someone else, you know, I practice as a registered nurse. Do I believe in medicine? Of course I use it, you know, but I know right. God, you know, so that's exactly. two different things. You know, yeah. I, I practice because there are a population of people who I know needs my gifts and my talents at their bedside. So I do the work, you know, because I yeah. still enjoy people, you know, I, 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 feel so bad for nurses who have lost their compassion yeah. and passion for other people. I, I don't know how that happens. Um, all I can say, maybe they went into the wrong profession yeah. um, and just didn't know what it was, but I immediately click with people and I'm such a warm and kind hearted person that I just want to help people who are in need. And so I get to do that at work as a professional nurse. 
And I also get to do that on my own business, you know, in my own business for women who are dealing with a place that I enjoy. I enjoy yeah. work. I, I, I enjoy being an employee. I never set out to be an entrepreneur, but something happened where I needed to solve a problem. And so the problem is a lot bigger than I am. So I have to change who I am drastically and all the time yeah. to continue to chase after something that hopefully I even get to in my lifetime. But I, <laughs> I don't know, you right. know, because medicine is big. People's minds about medicine is pretty much set. And if it's not set, they're very much um, apprehensive about doing simple things for health. Like take, for instance, we always say, and we know this from biology, that when stress hormones spike is to fight or flight, to take fight, to fight or to take flight. If a robber came up to you, you would either size that person up and take them head on or you going to run from them. Right. And this is the same thing that takes place in the workplace. Yes. You have not been taught to fight in the workplace. You fight by using your rights. You fight by using your employee handbook. And it, and when I say fight, I don't even mean that it has to be like, bam, bam, like, our, yeah, our, no, it's like, more I'm like saying, defending yourself, it's defending like, yourself, you're yeah. defending yourself. So what do we do in the health and wellness? My colleagues don't even mention the whole decision making process that you have to do before you start practicing yoga, before you start working out, before you start eating. So you're still misguiding and misleading people away yeah. from decision making to manage the symptoms. Sweetie, give don't manage the root issue. Get rid of exactly. it and you won't have the symptoms. Right. It's so I true. Just, it's so, very true. Yeah, no one talks about the fight or flight. They yeah. you know that it's there, but it's like, let, let me help you manage those symptoms. Let me, right. let me help you not get rid of your giant. <laughs> right. I have been doing um, deep dives into fight or flight and mm-hmm. into the polyvagal theory, mm-hmm. you know, and how, again, like stress gets stuck in your subconscious, mm-hmm. which then goes into your nervous system, mm-hmm. you know, which then causes dis in yes. your whole body. Exactly. So, so it's so, so interesting. And I had written um, a newsletter a few weeks ago about this little boy who came in and told me that he had anger issues, you mm-hmm. know, he was seven. And, um, and, and then there was all this stuff going on in his family, you know, his mom had had a stroke and his dad had had like a back injury. So can you imagine he had to like, just absorb all this stuff. And in his, his body, I mean, his brain could not metabolize these stores, mm-hmm. you know? So it was really causing this um, anxiety and stuff going on. Yeah. So where can people find you and your book, Bias Burnout? So Bias and Burnout is, of course, it's um, available on Amazon.com. And bias and burnout, this is 10 power moves for healthcare workplace equity. It's more of an academic book and kind of my experience with 
what I was dealing with, with depression after. So I wrote this after I wrote my memoir, Yet Here I Stand. Oh yeah, is, Yet Here I Stand. That's yeah, your first one. Yes. Which is an amazing read and it's just really, you know, filled with poetry and um, motifs and everything. But in order for me to express what I experienced, I needed to put it a little bit more academically because I couldn't get through it unless I made it a little bit more sterile, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, it was very painful. But this is um, with, with ch- chapters like pain and purpose, power moves, chronic job stress, confronting bias, disease or wellness, conflicted decisions, depression or oppressed. And then the eighth chapter is called Justice. I think that it's a necessary read for any career professional who may be dealing with Black women who are experiencing discrimination and job stress to the point where people think that "Hmm, maybe you shouldn't push the envelope because you're doing a lot better than the rest of your people (laughs) type thing, you know, because we get caught up with those things also. And and even some of my white friends have read this book who are professionals and they definitely um, appeal to it and they resonate with it. And I think my writing passes, crosses a lot of socioeconomic structures, but I just speak from a black woman's perspective of um, the world of medicine and healthcare so that whether or not you're from the hood or from the boardroom, you should be able to um, take away some very important growth factors for your life. So amazon.com. And if you want to join my amazing doers list, you can just go to www.workwithglenadedavis.com. Watch a six minute video and you'll be on my list where we do different e-courses and lessons on job stress, on on bias, on prioritizing health, on learning how to rest. And then you can also hire me as a consultant if you're actively involved with dealing with um, doctors who may be biased against you or attorneys who may feel like you're being manhandled because you have a health factor in your issue and you don't have a health representative. So I'm available for that also. I love that so much. Thank thank you, you. Glenna. This has been so much fun. I love this uh, discussion we've had. Yeah, it's been great. Thank you. It's been a long time since we last chatted up. So very excited to be here on Nurses and Hypochondriacs. (laughs) Thank you so much. And until next time. Be well. (laughs) Thank you for listening to this episode of the Nurses and Hypochondriacs podcast. We'd love it if you gave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. We'd also love a monetary donation. You can go ahead and donate on Venmo at nurses-hypo. Links are at the show notes. If you'd like to take any of the well-written nurse writing and storytelling classes, those links are also at the end of the show notes. And we'd love it if you come and uh, learn the art of storytelling. Thanks again for listening. Till next time. 